1: Va a llegar el gol del Arsenal. Phil. marca Mesut Özil
2: envía al área el remate. Ahí está el primer tanto del partido. No lo celebra por supuesto. Aaron Ramsey 0 a 1 para el Arsenal. This is Askcast Extra. Hello and welcome to another ArsCast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly evening to you, even though it's goodly morning for me
1: yeah i guess it's four o'clock here and eight o'clock is it there
2: yeah just gone eight o'clock in the morning so uh it's this weird time zone thing that i find it very hard to get my head around uh to be honest it's it's strange and weird and you feel quite removed and distant from things that are going on in the part of the world that you normally exist in but it is what it is um Mm. yeah so it's yeah this is la time
1: and how is your time in la how is it treating you
2: Really good. Uh, it's uh, It's been warm, not too hot. I've been in the sea quite a bit. First thing in the morning, get up, uh, leave the hotel and just go down to the sea and throw yourself in and it kind of washes away all the... Uh, all the foggy headedness that might have uh, been uh, achieved the night before Um, Lovely. we had a, a great event yesterday myself and Elliot from the Arsenal Vision podcast and James Benge from Football London we were down in a bar called The Underground in Hermosa Beach just so many Arsenal fans there uh, coming out to just mix and mingle and have a good time. And yeah, it was was amazing. So uh, it's been so far so good. We've had some great food here as well. Uh, We've got uh, to say uh, a shout out to Joaquin, who's at Morning Pint on Twitter, who's an LA man and who knows his Mm -hmm. way around this city. And he has helped us in a big way find really good places to eat. Man, we had some Korean barbecue on Saturday night and it was just... I saw pictures of that. It yeah. did
1: look amazing. Uh, that's really cool. And is it today? Is today game day? It's so confusing the time difference. But you've got a game today, right?
2: Well, no. There's a game in Denver today. They're playing the Colorado oh, Rapids right. in Denver today, which <laughs> I believe is going to be a fairly young team. Uh, because right. I think the Rapids have got a game of their own on Wednesday so I'm not 100% sure on on what sort of a fixture it's going to be tonight uh, in Denver but then the game in LA is on Wednesday so there's uh, there's Tuesday there's like a training session and a press mm. conference and then on Wednesday of course the game itself against Bayern Munich and there's a press conference and, and all that kind of stuff uh, afterwards so that'll be very interesting because we'll get to hear directly from Unai Emery uh, about I guess some of the things that have been going on or not going on as the case might be so it, it'll yeah. be the first chance for people to to get up close and personal with him and ask him about you know the situation this summer the transfer business and 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 all the rest so I'm very interested to see how how all that goes down
1: yes and it will be our first glimpse of uh, Uno Emery's new teeth gnashing uh, so that will be good to see
2: too close and personal with his with yeah. his choppers yeah
1: yeah uh, I was just working out where Denver is so it's about two and a half hour flight from LA so I guess they'll just be hopping over there for the game and, and hopping back uh, yeah so do you not think that all the players are going to travel to that one then do you think it's going to be like a bit of a mixed team that they send there or?
2: I think so I mean maybe they will all travel and just keep the team together and do some team bonding but uh, just mm-hmm. from speaking to somebody they suggested it would be quite a quite a young team uh, so maybe more of the the fringe players or the younger players who are back a bit early and have a bit more training under their belts uh, because you know we're, we're playing Monday night and then you're gonna play Wednesday night then you're gonna play Saturday then you're gonna play is it the following Tuesday I think against Real mm-hmm. Madrid so um, it, it's I guess they have to be mindful of the schedule Um, and yeah so we'll see I think this game against the the Colorado Rapids feels a bit kind of squeezed in to the schedule Um, right I don't know if that was at Stan's orders because well if you're yeah. going to be in America you better come and play my very successful uh, MLS team. Um it feels like it might be a bit like that or or maybe just, you know, let's get over there and have a have a chat with Stan himself who obviously this morning will be feeling uh, under huge pressure <coughs> um you know to to turn things around but look we'll we'll see what it is with with this game. I don't know what time it kicks off. It kicks off around Eight o'clock tonight, local Denver time, uh, which is right. late at night for you guys over there. I'm yeah, not like sure it's going to be 20. on. I'm not sure it's going to be on ESPN or anything here, so I'm not sure if I can keep up with it. To be honest, but uh, yeah, I think what what happens in the next couple of days uh, will be quite informative, though. You know, when things get a bit more formal uh, in terms of the game against Bayern Munich and what have
1: you. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. What you've missed, really, what you've been aware of. And obviously, we've seized control of the football club. I assume that's that news has reached you.
2: <laughs> like the reaction to that statement has been amazing um, yeah. this morning, you know, to have woken up because I think it, it went out just as I was going to bed here uh, maybe mm-hmm. a couple of hours before. Um, you know, last thing at night, it was going out. Uh, so that, that, that again, is what really confuses you about time zones. But uh, you know, the reaction to it I think has been has been really interesting. I know you and I we do we discussed this a bit and we'll probably discuss it, I guess we'll have a question or two about it in the second part of the show. And I think we discussed um, you know, the the, the statement itself and, and what its purpose was and what it was going to potentially achieve. But it's been quite interesting for me that the focus of the reporting of the statement has been really, really focused on Stan Kroenke and KSE and the way they're they're running the club.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that is sort of the, the line that a lot of the major media are taking around it. And I think justifiably so. And to be honest, I think that's kind of what I would want them to take out of it. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, any statement that's got as many signatories as, as that one does inevitably ends up being quite broad because there has to be sort of consensus and there has to be collaboration in in, in how it's worded and what you arrive at. Um, But I think that despite that, you know, I think there is a clear focus on the owner. And one of the things that I sort of quite like about it is it's not yet completely combative. It's not necessarily a case of, you know, uh, trying to kick somebody out of the football Mm. club quite yet. It's, It's asking for more engagement and i think that you know i'd love to believe that that message would have some sort of uh, reverberations on on that side of the pond i'm not enormously optimistic but uh it's been really i suppose it's been really encouraging to see the degree to which arsenal fans have embraced it and it's been very nice to see you know arsenal fans who've spent so much time disagreeing on stuff in the last few years rallying behind something so that yeah. that that feels promising and that feels positive and that feels like the start of something really which um yeah i think is definitely a, a good step
2: yeah for sure you know the uh I think the the fact that so many people have come together to sort of put their name to this statement Inevit- inevitably as you say means it, it's quite quite broad but you know, if there is one thing, I guess, that that we can all agree on. Well, again, I can't say that we would all agree in it because there are going to be some people who don't uh, like the statement or who don't agree with the sentiment of the statement, and that's absolutely fine. But for me, it certainly feels that, you know, we all have our issues with, you know, the players or we all have our uh, issues or beliefs or or opinions of the manager and, and, and that kind of thing. But if there's one thing that, I guess, uh, a large swathe of the Arsenal fan base do come together on. It's the fact that, that Kroenke and KSE, since they've taken over and since they've been running the football club, there have been things done poorly that need to be done better. And if it makes them sit up and take any kind of notice then it, it can only be a good thing. So, uh, you know, mm. li- like you, I'm not sure that Stan is going to sit there this morning in his office, in whether he's in Denver. Oh, I guess he would be in Denver because the team's going there. But, you know, between here and there because they're building this huge stadium in, in LA at the moment. So I'm sure he's he's spending his time. I'm, I don't think he's going to be sitting there quaking in his boots by any means uh, or paying perhaps any attention to it whatsoever. But... It's the first time, isn't it, that something like this has has gone out as representative of the people. Um involved in in signing the statement you know it's not it's not saying that all Arsenal fans feel this way it is just a number of people who have concerns over the direction of the football club the way it's being run uh, and the need to to change certain things in order to get us back to a place where let's remember this Kse and Stan Cronkie have very specifically said they want us to be they want us to be winning trophies they want us to win the biggest trophies the Champions League the Premier League on a regular basis that is what mm. they say so it's really about holding them to account over the statements that they have made, you know, the the very few statements they've made uh, when speaking publicly about their ambition for Arsenal. And we can see, I think, all of us, that what they say and what they're doing are very separate things. That you can't operate the way they are they're operating and hope to achieve um, those those very lofty ambitions, which is winning the biggest trophies in the game. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, when this statement
1: was being discussed and and you and I spoke privately about it going out, I had some reservations over the timing. But I think, you know, while we're sort of waiting for the window to close, but I think the timing of it coming out while Arsenal's top-level executives are with the Cronkies in America, you know, that could be beneficial. You know, it might be that if there is any discussion of it, or even if it's just low down on their agenda, that the fact that everyone's in the same place and able to actually talk and communicate might prove beneficial in some way. Um, Yeah, I I also think that, I know it's the transfer window at the moment, but I I don't think I would have been happy to put my name to something that was just sort of demanding signings. You know, I, I feel like Arsenal have sort of slightly... Arsenal fans maybe have slightly sort of cheapened uh, their complaints. You know, they've been a bit boy who cries wolf with, you know, demanding more money, demanding more signings. I think that what this letter shows is that it's about more than that. You know, there's discussion of the atmosphere, there's discussion of the prospects of the European Super League. You know, I, I think it's more focused on sort of the direction of the club and where we're going and how it makes us feel. You know, because yeah. I think that is ultimately more important than a shiny new
2: signing and and probably almost what you win really. Of course and you know as much as we're frustrated by the lack of signings you can't say that the club haven't spent money in recent years they have spent money they spent a lot of money on two strikers they spent a lot of money on players Uh, in the summer of 2016 for example you know we didn't spend the money well so it's about it's about improving the way that we spend the money that we have Uh, so yeah you know it's not just about you know get us a striker get us a central midfielder get us a central defender all of those things obviously are very important and I I hope that uh, between now and the end of the transfer window we address those issues within the squad but you know this is is not about just signing some fucking players. Uh, it, it is really about more than that, and I think um, the direction and the way that we feel about the club is is the the is the key point here for me because we were at this event yesterday with people from uh, from all over America came here there mm-hmm. were people from California obviously but from all over California which is a very big place there have been people who had driven up from, from Dallas and from Houston there were fans uh, from all over the world in that pub yesterday there were uh, you know uh, ex Londoners uh, in the pub who are living out here in LA and and it's amazing because we all have this connection to the football club and and, and that's what brings us together but if we can't see what the what the direction is and what the purpose of the football club appears to be right now, uh, it, it becomes quite um, disenfranchising. And I think you know you make a good point about the fact that uh, Raúl and Vinai and everyone basically is out there right now with the ability to say to the Cronkies, "Look, this is the way that people are feeling. This is the way mm. that they feel about their club, and and we've got to do something about this because ultimately." unless they do the 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 effects uh, on ticket sales the effects on the marketability of the club the brand arsenal as much as we don't like to think of arsenal as a brand you know all of those things become even more problematic you know you've got to go through another europa league group stage where you know regardless of of what we might do on the pitch there are going to be stories every game because there's going to be you know thousands of empty seats because people just aren't uh, invested in the Europa League And these are the realities of Of uh, of the situation At the club right now And the only people Who can really do anything about it Are the people running the club And ultimately The people who own the club Who put those people in place as well
1: yeah, and I think, you know, in the last few seasons, for different reasons, there's been a lot of focus on other individuals within the football club. And and I think justifiably, you know, I don't think it was wrong to hold Arsene Wenger to account over what happened on the field. I don't think it was wrong to hold Ivan Gazidis to account over what happened off the field a lot of the time. But ultimately, the the buck does stop with one man, and that is the one man who owns this football club. And I think, you know, his name being in the headlines being in the national media being discussed as someone who is accountable for what is happening at arsenal is a positive thing and and shifting the discourse shifting the direction you know and turning the gaze on him is good because you know if anything is going to cause him to act it, it it might it might be that and you know i i have to couch this all with you know i'm I'm not enormously optimistic because, you know, Stan Crocky's not beloved by the fans of any of his American franchises and, you know, has come under significant criticism from them in the past and it doesn't seem to have prompted much response from him. But we know how uh, dynamic and powerful Arsenal fans can be, particularly in the online community. So it will be interesting to see how much this grows and if there is any kind of
2: fallout from it. Yeah, look, it... (sighs) at the end of the day it's got people talking about an issue that most of us whether privately or publicly publicly would have some concerns about mm-hmm. you know if you talk to an arsenal fan you talk to them about you know the way the club is going do they have any real faith in the owner they don't they don't so you know why not talk about it let's get it out there let's start a discussion where it goes from here remains to be seen i feel like the club are going to have to address this in some way because as far as I can see and I've just woken up and again it's it's quite weird to try and keep on top of things from over here just because of the time zone you feel really well everybody, it's almost like living in the past in a strange way because by the time I've woken up, stuff has been going out all day in the UK uh, mm. but uh, I've kind of lost my train of thought here um, <laughs> just talking about uh, the reaction to it. Yeah, I think the club are going to have to uh, make some kind of response to this because it's in every every newspaper as far as I can see. It's in the the Times, it's in the Guardian. I saw it was in the Mail. I'm sure it's in all the tabloids. You know, yeah. it, it can't spread that far and that wide without something from the football club uh, as a response to it. I don't quite know when they will do it. I don't quite know how they will do it but you can't imagine that this morning uh in the US Raul and Vinai and Josh and Edu you know aren't talking about this because uh it would be ignoring a fire in the corner of the room basically
1: yeah i mean look it's it's been a, a sensation on social media i think in the last 24 hours uh basically only love island <laughs> seems to have been tweeted about more <laughs> and this is in the fallout of an incredible sporting weekend too i mean you probably wouldn't have caught any of it over there but the wimbledon final and the cricket world cup final were like gripping stuff i'm yeah. not a cricket fan but i was glued to the television couldn't take my eyes away from it and so sort of the fact that this this issue appears to have sort of piggybacked that and taken over the agenda this morning is is encouraging. Um, yeah, and, and and like I say, just from a sort of emotional perspective on it, it, it is just nice to see people setting aside differences, setting aside infighting, and rallying around a cause that does unite Arsenal fans. I think it, you know, that's quite a sort of nebulous thing, but it, it's nice to see Arsenal fans feel together and united i'm sure you sort of experienced a bit of that yesterday in that at that event in la but to see that happening sort of on a global scale online is also uh really good
2: it is it is uh, look it, it, it's an issue it's a problem and now it's been uh, addressed very publicly and we'll see we'll see what impact it might have um i'm not quite sure how much it will but uh, i think it's important that at least it's been put out there now rather than it being a a thing that festers in the background, or you know, in back channels, and and uh, without without something just very public. Um, I, I'm curious to see how how it'll go. So maybe we'll have a question or two about this in, yeah. in the second part of the show. Um, what else has happened? Obviously, the Lauren Koscielny thing uh, dropped just before I left. <sighs> um, I'm curious to to find your your take on this. What's your What's your thoughts on, on the way Koscielny has behaved and the way that this situation has has played out over the last uh, two or three days?
1: I think it must be a consequence of what happens when you have key personnel uh, in important roles within the club moving on. You know, it feels like a situation where the fact that we've had a change in manager, we've also had a change in chief executive probably feels like quite a con- big contribution to why Kashani feels quite unhappy and you know well maybe certain promises were made that weren't kept or maybe he just feels things might have been different under the previous regime because it is very out of character from him you would yeah. have to say there's been no indication of this at any point you know he's actually a player with the caliber to have left arsenal in his peak and gone and played somewhere else but there was never any noise about that he was always happy to sign an extension and stay at the club um so yeah it's it's a real shame i think and it i think it does slightly tarnish of course everything that's come before and i think it feels like a situation with no way back i expect it to to end with Laurent Koscielny leaving the club and that's a problem for us because he's still our best defender.
2: Yeah. That that really is the the key thing you know as as poorly as he's behaved and there's absolutely no condoning the way he, he behaved and the way he, he informed the club that he wouldn't travel on the tour as a captain uh, you have a responsibility as a senior player you have a responsibility but simply as a professional footballer being paid by Arsenal Football Club you have a responsibility to do your job uh, until such point as some agreement has been made about what your future might hold you know this idea that we should give him away for free is, is laughable, to be honest. Yeah, probably similarly laughable is the idea that we should get 10 million pounds for him because that's not realistic either. You know, he's 34, coming up on 34 years of age and his Achilles are, are a problem. Uh, you know, I think there's a, a measure of uh, realism needs to be applied to... Uh, to this situation, you know, you you just can't do what he did without it tarnishing your image and without people turning against you. And I think that's that's happened, uh, and it's completely understandable. But at the uh, the other side of it, it's a real shame. Also, I think it's a shame that he felt like this was the only way he could do or achieve what he wanted to achieve this summer, which appears to be leaving the club. Uh, you know, there is some talk from people who reckon he might stay. I think Nacho Monreal believes he might well. Stay stay still Uh, but to me it feels like a a fairly untenable situation Uh, Mm. not least because of of the way that Arsenal reacted they released a statement and uh, made it very clear that Koscielny was was the one to blame I think there's probably a bit more nuance to it I feel like there's something going on in the background that we don't really know Um, but you know that, that that's that's where we are with that he has behaved I, I can't see any way that he stays he certainly can't remain as captain uh, and it leaves us in a bind because we we already need to um, bring in some quality at, at center half. And I think what this does as well is, is if Koscielny goes, it means that, you know, maybe a player that we would like to move on this summer becomes even more difficult to move on. And that's, uh, of course, Mustafi. So it, the, the, the consequences, the knock-on effects of this uh, behavior from Koscielny are are really very damaging.
1: Yeah, I mean, you half wonder if when the club were out there looking at centre-half targets, you know, they identified William Saliba and they they realised that was a deal. Well, we'll get on to that deal, but a deal they could only potentially do uh, if they were to bring the player in in 12 months' time. And maybe they, at that point, decided, well, we need to keep Koscielny around and essentially pricing him at £10 million or whatever he's reputed to be. Uh, charging it's a way of sort of taking him out of the, the market you know essentially mm. we don't want to let him go the players clearly not happy with that but if you put pen to paper on a contract you know that's your obligation that's your responsibility it works both ways you know we can't cancel Mesut Ozil's contract and nor should Laurent Koscielny just be able to walk out on his so it's uh, Yeah, it's a really unpleasant situation. I know there was some debate over whether the club should have gone public with it. I feel like they probably felt like they had to act in case uh, the other side of the story came out and it, it looked uglier for them. But uh, yeah, it's a real shame and a real a real problem. Because ultimately, I don't think a club who are buying Koscielny are going to think, well, what's happened here is going to make me you know pay more money you're going to think well this is great they've got to get shot of him now hopefully i'll get him for nothing
2: yeah exactly it does it it knocks down the price uh that 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 we can get for him and i think we have to be realistic about what what a player of his age and physical condition can actually bring Mm in um uh, do you worry maybe that the club will be okay well you you're gonna sit there we're not gonna sell you um or do you think they will be ultimately forced into to doing something, uh, cut price, maybe uh, just to just to move him on? And because I'm not saying he's a, a problem player or somebody who's caused us any issues in the past, but right now he is a problem that we have to address.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was some suggestion that they might, someone might try and buy out. At the value of his contract, essentially, which is about four and a half million pounds. So if someone offered that, that maybe he could go. I mean, I could I find some sort of compromise like that plausible, but still quite a lot of money to pay yeah. for a player of that age who, you know, there's no real guarantee uh, they'll be fit. I, I'm always a bit... When players say they want to go and then people say, well, they'll just rot in the reserves it very rarely happens like that you know people still reference winston bogard as an example which i think shows you uh, that there is not too many sort of modern equivalents you know people are either sold or they are in, sort of brought back into the first team fold you know albeit maybe in a slightly reduced role so i'm not especially worried about that it's more just it's just the centre it's just the centre of our defence you know i was i was someone who at the end of last season said Let's keep Koscielny. You know, let's get as much out of him as we can. He's, even if he could only play one in three games, he's still the best we've got. And to lose him leaves us with a, a big hole there and we need to bring somebody in. And pff, that's proving increasingly difficult to do as the summer wears on.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, the Saliba thing, for example. What's the latest on that? The latest on that is that... So uh, Spurs waited for their moment, didn't they, of course? And uh, as soon as all the Arsenal executives flew out to America, they uh, matched or, or made a better bid than Arsenal, essentially offering €30 million Euros, um without clauses so you know it was to be paid in installments but it wasn't appearances dependent or anything like it it was essentially guaranteed 30 million euros uh, the stories out of France are now that Arsenal have subsequently agreed to up their offer to match what Spurs are offering but you know it, it's in the balance that I mean Saliba's you know what he's not an Arsenal fan is he? he's not born and raised in London and Spurs have Champions League football and Arsenal don't right yeah. now so you know that really could go either way, and I think it would be painful and embarrassing, wouldn't it?
2: Wouldn't, wouldn't that just sort of sum up uh, the the situation in in that? Like three or four weeks ago, nobody had heard of William Saliba really, uh, unless you're a, 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 a follower of Liga, um, and perhaps. The idea that we would get very angry and upset about not signing an 18 year old center half from Saint Etienne for quite a substantial amount of money so we could loan him back to that club for a year and not even bring him in to address the central defensive issues that we have at this moment in time it, doesn't that feed into the going back to the statement in a way? Because I guess we can see some logic in it in that you know, next year we get a potentially a very good player or somebody that they've identified as a very good player, but a failure to, to get that over the line sort of talks about how things need to improve at that level of the club, because we have, you know, the Tierney thing going on as well. Uh, You know, having gone back in with a bid uh, that was rejected as well. I I heard from somebody that Tierney is not necessarily that uh excited about <laughs> coming to arsenal so mm-hmm. that might be a factor too and again here's a left back um who is at the moment not even fit to play you know he's going through some rehab following a a bit of a surgery or something like that isn't it so you know again our transfer business we're targeting a player who if we buy him may not even be available for the start of the season you know it's long-term planning of course if you if you identify him as your long-term left back that's fine but it just it just all feeds into this feeling that we're kind of stumbling around in the dark when it comes to our transfer business
1: Yeah, and bidding for a player in Wilfred Zaha that we almost certainly can't afford. Uh, There are some strange things about our transfer activity this summer. I have to say that, you know, while I think it's fair and I think it's good that the statement criticises Arsenal's transfer strategy in the last few years, I think... In Saliba and Tierney, there is a kind of logic there. You know, I was never particularly perturbed by the idea that Saliba wouldn't be available immediately because ultimately he is 18 years old. I mean, what Premier League team has an 18-year-old centre-half? We're worried about not having him next season. He'll still be 19 then. It's still incredibly young. I mean, I think if you buy Saliba, you're really thinking about him as someone who's going to be in the team in maybe three to four years or you know, or five years. When he gets into his early 20s, that's when you expect to see him really at the level that he, he might possibly reach. So that's such a long-term deal to my mind. I mean, it would be disappointing if it doesn't happen, but we need a team that can compete next season because if there was anything to be derived from reading those financial reports that Swiss Ramble analysed so brilliantly, it was that Champions League football is absolutely paramount. Really, And I do love the idea of having a long-term plan. And I think, you know, we can do both, but we also need to attend to the short term. Uh, And short term is, I mean, really the pertinent phrase, because we are getting into that last month now of the transfer window. And we need some of this stuff to to start happening.
2: Yeah. They must be talking about it here. They must be like... Discussing what it is that we're, we're going to do uh, in the transfer market. I think uh, it was quite funny last night that uh, the stories about Leicester agreeing a deal for mm-hmm. for uh, Lewis Dunk from Brighton yeah. for 45 yeah. million pounds. And, our entire transfer budget. Yeah, exactly. And while we're, we're, I think we, we can all understand why the budget is so low because of the way that the finances have been analyzed by Swiss Ramble and the Arsenal supporters trusted a very forensic uh, look at our finances too. There's a big loss coming down the line. We've spent money badly. We've got wage uh, bill issues and all that kind of stuff. But it does feel a little, um, you know, when you see Leicester having already bought Tielemans, is it? For forty million 40 pounds. Million, yeah. They're going out and spending forty five million pounds on a on a centre half from, from Brighton and you're thinking, hang on, what the fuck? Well, what's going on here?
1: <laughs> well, I mean in the, in defense of Leicester, they are expecting a pretty hefty windfall for Harry Maguire. You know, if he goes to one of the Manchester clubs, they're talking about eighty million pounds for that, which would effectively cover those signings. But I think I think what that shows is that increasingly value is so difficult to define particularly when it comes to deals between the english clubs it just feels like every deal is kind of uh, dependent on the uh, on the fee you get for the player you're selling you know there's no relationship there's no sense of well he's a 10 million pound player and he's a 50 million pound player it's just the will of the buying club uh, how stubborn the selling club are prepared to be and how rich they know you are i think what for the fees like the maguire fee like the dunk fee like the Zaha fee, really show is that Arsenal probably need to be doing their shopping on the continent or in South America. They need to be operating in areas where other big clubs aren't because we just don't have the financial muscle to compete. And, you know, it's interesting. I think it's in a way good that Edu, Sanehi, you know, uh, Husfami,
2: all the big guns are out in America. Husfami sure. is actually back back at base in London, oh, see. apparently. He's the, he the only one in London at this moment in time.
1: Right. Well, yeah, what I was going to get on to say is that as much as it's sort of good, I guess, for them to be out there with the owners, you do worry, you know, if they're out there too long, do we need more people on the ground, as it were, you know, dealing with the nitty-gritty of the of the transfer business. Um, I mean, maybe Husfam is uh, up to the job, but he's essentially inherited Dick Law's role from what I understand. But, yeah, I mean, there's a... Yeah, it's really concerning. I mean, what did I, I think I said on the last podcast? We can all start freaking out. Was it about a week today? But I might be moving that earlier
2: soon. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. I mean, what else is happening out there? I see some talk about uh, Danny Alves potentially, which feels quite speculative. And there's the there's the uh, the Everton guy, the guy who's actually called Everton. We're not going to buy yeah, Everton Football Club. Everton.
1: Yes, although Tim Stillman has been. Um, slightly poo-pooing those rumours saying that a lot of the reports in the Brazilian media are essentially reprints of stories that originated in the English tabloids. So I'm not too encouraged by those. Uh, We've talked about the Tierney having another bid rejected. We've talked about Saliba. No talk at all about Wilfred Zaha, who is out of the African Cup of Nations now. And that has gone very, very quiet. I, I, I sort of think that deal probably is dead I I just can't really see any way that that's feasible for us can you
2: no I think if if you're Crystal Palace and we've genuinely offered them whatever smidgen of money we can rustle up along with your pick of X player or Y player or you know I, I don't know why I don't know why you wouldn't. If you're Crystal Palace and you're looking at the market and Lewis Dunk is fetching £45 million and Arsenal are bidding £40 million for, yeah. for Zaha, why on earth would you consider doing a deal yeah. at that price? I think we know what... What Palace want for him if they are going to sell him? We must be aware that they've got a, a price point at which they will uh, they will deal, and you know unless we reach that, I guess we're we're just going to be wasting their wasting their time. Uh, so I don't see any way that that Zaha gets across the line at all. Um, and oh, I mean, Malcolm is one that people are potentially talking about. I mean that
1: right. feels that feels plausible to me um in part because we know arsenal were interested in him uh, when he was playing in france with the bordeaux and we also know that Raul signay is a, a contact orientated director of football and where's he got contacts barcelona so i wouldn't be too surprised if they worked out some sort of loan deal or something like that that feels like it could kind of suit all parties yeah um so that I think is one to sort of keep an eye on I give that a certain degree of credibility uh but yeah it is kind of mad I mean I saw uh, this was actually a question that came in from Daniel Ferreira who's at Dan Ferret on Twitter but he said Monchi has already spent 120 million euros this summer with Sevilla (laughs) Do do you think he realized Arsenal are poor and thought no thanks and I think there might be some merit in that,
2: really. Yeah, quite possibly. Quite possibly. I mean, it would be one of the first questions that you ask, isn't it, as a director or as a uh, head of recruitment? How much money do I have to spend? And what exactly do you want me to do with that money? So if the question uh, posed by Monshi was that, and the answer was, well, we need you to fix the centre of our defence. We need a left back. We also need to replace Aaron Ramsey in midfield. And we need maybe a wide player and possibly a right back too here's 45 million pounds go do your magic you can understand why he might have gone uh, no no that's, <laughs> that's too difficult for me um you know he didn't have a great time at at at, uh, at roma in fairness in the way that he spent money so it remains to be seen what 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 kind of success that 120 million euros brings to uh brings to sevilla but yeah if you're if you're that kind of guy doing that kind of job, a key consideration has to be the budget. And I guess he wasn't reassured fully by what he would have to spend at Arsenal. So,
1: Yeah. And, you know, it is kind of galling as an Arsenal fan to see what other clubs are spending. I mean, we mentioned Leicester. West Ham seem to be throwing money around in this window. Tottenham, obviously. And you do kind of think you know, how have we ended up here? And I know those financial results kind of illustrate how it's poor commercial deals. It's dropping out of the Champions League, but it is still a bit of a, it is still quite shocking to think that we have got a transfer budget that in the current market cannot afford Lewis Dunk.
2: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. We can't afford Lewis Dunk. Uh,
1: I mean, (laughs) it's not, it's not great, is it? The only thing I sort of, uh, the only positive I can kind of take from it is that, You know, maybe it does mean we're going to go in this this youth direction. And I I think maybe that's something I could get excited about. You know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I feel like your enjoyment of supporting a club is kind of in part sort of down to the story that the club is telling you or the story you're telling yourself about the club and I think there have been periods in our history where that story has been clear and you know even when we moved to the Emirates Stadium that idea of Project Youth there was a a narrative that we could buy into and believe in and maybe maybe there's quite a sort of romantic idea about you know getting these young players in the team whether the reality uh, will match up to that or whether we'll just be massively exposed I don't know but from a sort of
2: romantic point of view. Yeah, I can get a bit excited about that. Yeah. I mean, it, it maybe feels like the only thing we've got at, the, at this moment in time Yeah, but I mean maybe
1: that's why. It's
2: necessity, isn't it? Yeah, it's necessity is the mother of invention as they say. So who knows what kind of a team we'll we'll put together. Um all right, will we take a little break here and come back and do questions in part 2? Yes, let's do that. All right, we'll be right back.
0: Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC+, where every day feels like Christmas morning. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. They're all here on AMC+. So celebrate the best Christmas ever, anytime, anywhere. AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy.
2: Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Uh, also on the ArsBlog Patreon Discord server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. And if you want to keep up with the US tour uh, and some of my updates on there, uh, you can join at patreon.com forward slash Arse blog. Uh, haven't done Facebook today because I forgot, and I'm far away and weirded out by time zone. So apologies to uh, Facebookers there, but we will get on that for the next uh, for the next one. So, uh, do you want to start, or will I start? Or
1: uh, uh, I'll start with this one. This is a question actually about the kashelni situation from right. our. Discord channel from Singapore Guna Um, they say it seems like the club's taken a strong stance here I don't think the club in the Wenger era would have done such a thing the thing is what the club's doing now under Rouse stewardship by publicly throwing Koscielny under the bus seems to contradict the traditional values of the club that Wenger so often spoke about. Uh, yet, I can't help but think this hardline stance is something that we could have used in the past and it might not be all that bad. Where do you stand on this? Uh, no more Mr. Nice Club,
2: I guess. N- no more Mr. Nice Club. It depends what kind of a hand you're holding, though, when you take these stances, right? So, um could it be counterproductive? Could it make it more difficult to move Koscielny on? Could it make it more difficult to get what we actually want for Koscielny? Potentially. It might also be a case that uh, other players will see the club taking a hardline stance on something like this and uh, and think about their own behavior or potential behavior. You know, I don't know. It's very hard to know how, how this one is all going to come out in the wash. I do think it is... Possibly counterproductive to have made it so public uh, and to sort of wash our dirty laundry uh, in public the way that we did uh, it sounded like a statement from people who were quite irate and unhappy didn't it you know it was very very brief it was very mm-hmm. succinct it didn't pull any punches in terms of who was to blame for it and um, and maybe it was a case they were just trying to get out ahead of the story and and to stop any speculation but also you know uh they probably could have put out something else i you know i don't know i don't know i don't know why uh we should do kashelni any favors either at the same time you know i've liked him a lot as a player but if it was uh if it was any other player they'd be rightly and roundly pilloried for for the way that they've behaved so if we deem the way that he has acted unacceptable and unprofessional and I think most people do um, then I don't suppose there's too much wrong with, with the Arsenal statement uh, I wonder though do we have to consider w- why it is that he's felt he, he's, he's got to behave like this that's the thing in, that, that worries me in the background that is it just another thing that that is a consequence of the way the club is being run um, so yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, something I felt about it, and actually it was later confirmed to me when I heard David Ornstein on the AskCast last week, is that as soon as I saw this news, it, it really struck me that I felt that this was connected to our failure to get into the Champions League. I just think, had we made it, A, we might have been able to give Koscielny an extra year, just financially, we might have had the flexibility to do that. Whether that have been wise or not, I'm not sure. But b I I, I think he probably would have been up for playing in it I think that there would be more appeal to Don Koscielny to play a season in the Champions League than juggling Europa League games around his schedule Mm. Um, and it was just one of the things that made me think god it's just so huge that we didn't didn't do it this season I, I don't want to continually look back but it Increasingly feels like a real sliding doors thing. If if you look at what's happened happen, happen subsequently in terms of, you know, not being able to afford Zaha, you know, haggling over the Tierney fee, I just feel like a lot of these things would have been alleviated by by making the top four or winning yeah. that Europa League final. And it's yeah, very frustrating looking at it now and feeling like we didn't. Yeah. And that's not to absolve Kashani at all. I, on the sort of line stance from the club, I do like that. Like I do think. We need to behave like that more as a club. And sometimes those those values that we had, you know, didn't always help us. I mean, I would only flag that, you know, Raoul said in an interview, if someone gets to within two years of their contract, we'll have to make a decision on them. They will sign or they will be sold. And what's kind of disturbing about that is when you look at the players we've got, who've got two years remaining on their contract... Mesut Ozil Henrik Mkhitaryan Shkodra Mustafi, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang Sokratis none of these guys (laughs) currently are extending or being sold
2: yeah yeah I guess that's to do with their age profile as well a bit though uh, for for a few of them but
1: yeah I'm not saying it's an easy job uh, you know to, to sell those players but you know there was talk at the end of last season wasn't there about Lacazette and Aubameyang potentially signing contract extensions that's not yet come to pass uh you know for all the talk of having this hardline stance and dealing with things better in future we've not been able to enact that
2: yeah that's fair point and the hardline stance we have taken is on a nearly 34 year old player uh yeah. yeah okay well i guess we're gonna have to we're just gonna have to see where where this one goes um you know i i sometimes feel as well that uh, you look at, for example, the statement that Atletico Madrid put out about Antoine Griezmann. It was really strong, wasn't it? Very critical of him. But ultimately, Griezmann got what he wanted, which was mm. a move to to Barcelona. So, regardless of what Atletico Madrid said they weren 't masters of that situation, or maybe it was just a case of them getting what they wanted, but I think they were always going to get what they wanted in terms of in terms of money uh, simply because he 'd signed a, a new contract. There was a buyout clause in it as soon as Barcelona met the buyout clause they They let him go as they had to, but you know i don 't know i don 't know it doesn't it just doesn 't really the whole situation I feel uh, is quite worrying because of a, this is you know, you're going off on your preseason tour. Everyone knows that the squad needs to be improved. Your captain throws his toys out of the pram. It reflects badly on the captain. It reflects badly on the club. It reflects uh, badly on on the way that the people running the club are 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 behaving and operating uh, simply because you know they were not masters of of this situation. You know, if if things were. Uh, Rosier at Arsenal I don't believe Koscielny would have done what he did Um, and Mm -hmm. and that goes back to the end of last season to the fact that we didn't achieve Champions League qualification uh, either via the Premier League which for me is the far more disappointing one or the Europa League final that's a one-off game shit can happen shit did happen it it was particularly shit so you know I think you're right to say it had a a consequence of uh, of not not getting back into the top four last season
1: Well, the good news for Laurent Koscielny, I don't know if you've seen this, but Mathieu Flamini (gasps) has come out in support of him on uh, Instagram.
2: Oh, my God. I saw this. We had a question from it, a question about it. Let me just see if I can find the the name of the guy here. Uh, From Cormac, uh, Cormaximus. And he says, Have you seen Flamini's Instagram post regarding Koscielny? Seems a very odd thing to send publicly versus reaching out privately. And it is, isn't it?
1: Yes, Lolo, my thoughts and support are with you. First and foremost, I know how committed and true to the Arsenal badge you've been all these years. Furthermore, I know how hard it must be for you to face this difficult situation. Emotions run high, so sometimes with reflection, one can look at things from a different perspective. Given all the above, I'm sure a
2: positive solution will be found.
1: I mean, why doesn't Flamini just send him the 10 million quid, you know?
2: <laughs> I don't know. That is that is so weird. But then, you know, I think footballers are quite weird as well. Um, yeah, I don't know what to make of that Flamini situation. Maybe he'll come in and sort yeah, everything out for us. Yeah, put up
1: the money, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, exactly. He can, he can uh, convince Macedozil to do a few things as well, if he really wants. <laughs> um, okay, I have a question here. Uh just... Bear with me, because I clicked off it. It comes from boom, 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 uh, Redmond, who's that cheesehead gooner. And it goes back to the, the statement. And he says, is hashtag we care to you about reengaging the fan base success or prompting action from Stan? The Rams move from St. Louis to L.A. taught us that you can hit a Cronky in the wallet, but you can't hit him in the heart. Mm. and then we also have a question uh, let me see about it here Uh, I think it's from God almighty I'm just all over the place I apologize Uh, from Richard who's at R underscore Gunnar, and he said you both signed the letter that's been circulating today do you think it will do any good we know the answer he says but more importantly does it make our our fan base look spoiled because all I'm getting from Spurs fans is saying now you know how we felt forever
1: That's an interesting point. I mean, I I did have a Spurs fan mate of mine, Adam, text me and say uh, that he thought it was a good statement, but he felt to an extent it could apply to almost uh, any fan in modern football. And I think there's an element of truth in that, but I don't think that makes it something not worth shouting about. Um, I think that sort of degree of alienation is creeping in all over the place. You know, if you look at Manchester United fans for example they're absolutely uh, furious with their ownership and I think a lot of other clubs also feel that sense of detachment but I think this is a pretty extreme case in terms of the Cronkies and I think that it does go beyond results on the football pitch you know I think there are probably certain Arsenal fans who would be pacified by a big signing or a trophy but I do have to stress that I think this is about much more than that. I think it is about the direction of the club, the connection we feel to it, you know, the story that we're telling, that we're part of. Um, And I think it's it's something with a, a sort of a bigger goal there. So do I worry that it makes Arsenal fans sound spoiled? Sometimes, you know, I had a conversation with a, a Wolves fan the other day and they were like I don't know what Arsenal fans are complaining about you know every other every other fan if in the lower league would love to be in their position but uh, yeah, it's but all relative a, yeah
2: it's, that's such a weird argument I get it but like you know they Wolves fan doesn't have to watch Arsenal week in, week out And and despair over some of the problems That we've had for a long time That don't ever seem to be addressed Of course, if you're a fan of, you know, Colchester uh, You look at Arsenal and think What have they got to complain about? But it's all relative And it's all comparative to, you know... Um, the standards that we have come to expect from the football club, which I think are are we're not meeting those standards, you know. And uh, again, I come back to the point that you know the the, the Cronkys when they took over, when they bought out Ali Sharuzmanov's shares, and when they they um, forcibly purchased all the shares that belonged to Arsenal fans, who for many uh, had no financial interest. Uh, in, in those shares, it, they weren't an investment in money. They were an investment of commitment and of heart, uh, uh, because they feel connected to this football club they've supported for years. You know, some of those shares were were generational, passed down from generation to generation. Stan Kroenke and KSE hoovered up those shares because they were allowed to do so because of the takeover rules. But they said that they wanted the football club to achieve big things to win the biggest prizes regularly. That's what they said. They said their ambition is to win the champions league and to win the, uh, the premier league. So, all the statement is doing as far as i can see is trying to hold them to some measure of account yeah. to the things that they have actually said it's not like we are, are 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 just plucking things out of the air to say well we want this and we want that we want the emirates stadium to be a spaceship or something ludicrous we just want them to do what they said they were going to do and i don't think that's i don't think that's unfair to hold people to account to the things that they say. In fact, there's far too much in the world right now where people say things and they don't mean them and nobody is uh, willing or able or capable of holding them to account. You know, again, it might be water off a duck's back, but I think, you know, if people feel strongly enough, and it's clear that quite a lot of people feel very strongly about this situation with with KSE and with Cronkies and we care, do you? You know, they care. All that they're looking for is a measure of uh, of accountability, a bit of transparency, but also, you know, this is a this is a football club which uh, needs to have sporting ambition, uh, and the people who are running it need to act in a way which illustrates that they're serious about achieving the things that they say they want to achieve.
1: Absolutely, I think that's really well put, and I also think that this you know what this will hopefully do is open up a dialogue in a situation where almost no dialogue exists and obviously with the removal of the AGM no dialogue is required to exist between ownership and fans and I think you know it'll be interesting to see where that goes I, I really do look upon this as the start of something and referring back to the question I do think connecting the fan base is a big part of that you know for one reason or another due to a lot of the infighting that's gone on among the Arsenal fans A lot of blogs, fan groups, influencers, whatever word you want to use, have there's been damage done to those voices and it's been quite a a fractured voice. And I do think that this banner that people are assembling under enables Arsenal fans to present a united front on an issue that I think the vast majority of us feel the same about. And And I think that makes our voice collectively much stronger. And I think that is a really positive step.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is, and look, you know what happens at other football clubs shouldn't be used as a measure uh, to to judge what's happening at Arsenal. Of course, you know I, I say that. Having said, you know <laughs> we uh, Leicester are buying Lewis Dunk, but you know just generally speaking, what other football fans think of what's happening at Arsenal is is not really relevant because they don't they don't have to experience. Um, Arsenal Every club has its own problems Of course they do But You know the, the, This isn't This isn't a An off the cuff This isn't a spur of the moment Type thing This is something that Has been festering For quite some time For it to come to a point where A statement like that is released uh, And to get the coverage that it has You know It's been a while coming You know Based on the way that The that, that uh And KSE Have been running the football club So if it affects any kind of positive change then amazing that would be great uh, you know like you and I'm sure many people listening to this I'm not necessarily convinced but I think it's very important that we we talk about it and we we address it and so far that's been done so
1: yeah and also I think you know we we readily uh accused the the owner of not being engaged enough and of course he has a real responsibility to be but i think as fans we need to be engaged ourselves and we need to take action where we can uh, and make our voices heard and it's great it's great that that's happening like i say I, I think it's a i think it's a really positive step and i don't expect it to be an antidote or to you know lance the boil or solve the problem i don't think it's going to be that panacea but i think it's a movement in the right direction yeah uh and you know it's very easy to be cynical about that and i'm sure certain people uh, will be cynical about it but i think you know when you care about something there's not really room for that cynicism so yeah i think it's good okay um what about this question from amol who's at vela wolf on twitter and amol says if we are destined to be stuck with urzul and Mikatarian this season what do you think should be their ideal target, goals and assists-wise? Would 15 goals and 15 assists between them justify
2: their presence and wages? Uh, it would depend on who those goals and assists were against. Like, if they're That's in true. the group stages of the Europa League, then no. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure... I,
1: I, given what we're paying them, I think they probably would need something more like that individually, wouldn't they, to justify yeah. that kind of money?
2: Like, I think uh, if you're talking about Ozil, for example, based on what he did last season, which was a huge underperformance in terms of what we know he's capable of, I think, you know, we would look for something like the season he had uh, maybe a couple of years ago where he he almost matched the Premier League assist record held by Thierry Henry, no less. Mm. Uh, you know, something like that would be the kind of contribution that could have a really, really positive impact on, on the team, you know? Whether mm. he's capable of doing that anymore, I don't know. Mkhitaryan... I just don't know what you're going to get from him because, you know, what one game he can be quite good and then for about four games he's pretty average and then he might be really bad and then he might have a good game or two and, you know, there's an inconsistency there. Uh, it really depends on how often they play and in what position they, they're they going to play as well. This is why I'm, I'm quite interested to see what we do in these preseason games and what way Unai Emery sets up his team because you have to imagine that... Th- as much as these uh, fixtures are about fitness and conditioning and getting yourself physically ready for the new season, there has to be also a tactical element to it. No. So what way Emery picks his team, whether it's with a back three or whether it's with a back four might be informative. And from there we can kind of guess a bit more about uh, how involved both of those players are, are going to be next season. So Uh, Look, I think, you know, for the money that they're being paid, which is basically a a million pounds every two weeks in wages to the two of them. I think there's a measure of responsibility that they produce far, far more than they did last season, which was uh, not good enough by, by any standards. If we're using wages as a measure of what we could or should expect from a footballer. I mean, that is why you pay a guy big wages. It's because you're saying you're a very important player. Uh, I know it's not the only measure of it, but you know, people will make assumptions based on the, 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 the wage bill. I don't think that's unfair. It's always been the case. Same with a transfer fee. If you pay £2 million for a player or you pay £50 million for a player, the expectation is that the £50 million player will be better, more productive, because you're willing to spend that much money on them. It's a show of of faith uh, in, in their talent. So uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how they go. Um, it needs to be a lot better than last season. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, you put down money, you expect, you want some return on that. And bringing it back, actually, to the ownership issue and the fans and why comparisons of other clubs isn't that relevant, you have to remember that the fans who turn up at the Emirates Stadium... Pay more than the mass, vast majority of fans of other football clubs, so that's uh, yeah. It's natural to expect some sort of return on that yeah.
2: Okay, here's a here's a question from the Discord from Giant Cal Gunner, who says, uh, "Hello, Andrew, great to meet you yesterday. Thanks for a great live podcast. Pleasure to meet you too, sir. Uh, as it was to meet all those uh, fans at the event yesterday." But he says, "My question has to do with protracted negotiations." Do the odds of a closed deal, a deal that we get done, I guess, drop as the rounds of negotiations go on and on and the noise coverage in the press and social media pile up? Our best signings of the season seem to happen quickly without a lot of news or social media coverage. Ozil, Sanchez, Murtisacker, Cazorla, Guendouzi, Monreal and more. Should we all start expecting the worst on Tierney and Saliba deals that are just dragging out?
1: Well, that's an interesting question because it almost seems to be implying that there's like the way the player performs has a relationship to the way the deal plays out in the media, um, which I highly doubt. I, I think it is a concern in the case of someone like Saliba where there's competition, and I guess with Tierney too, because there's obviously talk of, of Napoli hovering potentially with a bid for him. I mean, I don't know if they've actually made a formal offer, but the longer those things go on, the greater the risk that you end up Gazumped. Uh, I think it it just doesn't speak to our our ability to close these deals particularly well. And I, and I actually, I'm not even levelling that as a criticism of Raúl or or anybody or his family or anyone else involved from a sort of practical point of view. It's more the case that it's a consequence of us not having the money, right? I mean, I think a Champions League club who comes in for Kieran Tierney makes initial offer gets told well it's going to be you know 25 million up front or whatever they just do it we can't we just can't do it so it, so it's sort of difficult i think to blame our competence when it seems more to do with cash flow you know we we have to sort of try and steadily bring the price down because we can't pay what people ask for
2: oh, that makes it very difficult <laughs>
1: <laughs> well yeah yeah, it does. And that's why you end up in situations like like the Tierney <clears throat> one or, or, or like yeah. the Saliba one where you're sort of hoping it's the will of the player that drives it through or, or the Zaha one, I guess, to an extent. But, uh, you know, we, normally we've been used to operating, you know, even though we had issues with our transfer policy in the past, a little bit like a big club. The big clubs come in and they, they pay what's necessary. You know, Harry Maguire is not worth... 80 million pounds but he's a necessary signing for Manchester United and they can afford to do it so they get the deal done we just aren't in a position to do that I don't think it's a lack of will and I can't necessarily speak to a lack of competence I think the people who are in the job are so new in the job we can't really evaluate that properly yet but from a financial perspective we can't act like a, a big boy as it were
2: yeah okay
1: Uh, cheerful though isn't it it sure Um, is Gunner Punner asks if you had to revise your pre-window predictions how many players do you now think will
2: sign before the start of the season I can't remember what I said uh, (laughs) no to be honest I don't know what my prediction was Uh, how do you feel now though I think I think we'll sign three players I think we will I think we have to because we have a question there was a question uh, from somebody about like if if we didn't sign any players where do you think this squad would finish next season and there was a part of me going, well, maybe. And then it was like, nah, about sixth, seventh, maybe. I think with, with the same squad, maybe we can get more out of them. But I think the idea that we could go into a new season without signing any new players, uh, you know, apart from Gabrielle Martinelli, who could be fantastic, but of course is 18 and, and has got a, uh, a, a lot to learn still in his career, um, it would be just absurd. So I think we have to. I think we have to get some deals done. Uh, so I would say three players, but I don't know how that tallies with my previous prediction of how many we we were gonna buy. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think we, I think we'll definitely do two, and I hope we do three. I just think we, I just think we have to. Um, I mean, in terms of what where this squad will finish, uh, the only sort of caveat I'd offer is that as bad as we are <laughs> and as many problems as we have, you know, Chelsea and Manchester United also have problems. Um, and I I kind of think that even if we just sort of, I think I maybe heard Tim Stillman say this, uh, but even if we just kind of repeat what we did last year, we might be in the mix
2: still for top four. Yeah, but uh, you know, you're asking us to repeat what we did last year without... Probably our captain without Danny Welbeck, without uh, Aaron Ramsey, without Hector Bellerin and Rob Holding at the start of the season. And their absences were, I think, a a key factor in why we didn't finish in the top four, those three long-term injured players. Mm. So, you know, it's asking a lot for for us to repeat what we did with less than we had back then, unless some of these young players that we have high hopes for can come through and, and really make a, a big splash. But, it, you know, isn't that a... Isn't it, as much as we all would like that to happen, it doesn't it put an awful lot of pressure on them, those kids? Of course. You know. I,
1: and just as I urge some realism and caution with Saliba, you know, the same should apply to our academy players. And the other thing, to add on top of everything you just said then, of why it's asking a lot to repeat last season, is that we overperformed a lot of our underlying metrics. And you know, there might be a, a case of that kind of levelling out next season. So yikes. Yikes indeed. Um is this is it your question?
2: No. It's your question, I think. Is yeah. it? No, you asked the question. It was from I think uh I asked You asked the question Gunner from Gunner Punner. Okay, this one comes from Uh, Joachim Runderheim, who's at Runderheim on Twitter, and he says, you are to set one prediction, preferably a bold one, for one or more of our players. For example, Chambers plays his way into the starting 11, etc. What would be your prediction?
1: That's quite a fun game. Um, My prediction is... I, I don't think Chambers is going to play its way into the starting
2: 11. No, to be you, honest, I'm not. That, that uh, can't be your prediction. You can't just unpredict his prediction.
1: No, 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 no. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I just. Uh, I was just speculating about that anyway. What is my prediction? I'm having a look at the squad now thinking. Because uh, I want it to be positive, Andrew. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I
2: know, I know. Me too. Me too.
1: Um. I think my prediction is I'm going to predict that Eddie Nketiah will score 10 goals across all competitions.
2: Wow. I don't even think Eddie Nketiah will be with us. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean, you might be right.
2: I I, I have a feeling he'll he'll go out on loan. Uh, Yeah, it's possible. Okay. That is certainly a bold prediction.
1: Ten goals.
2: Yeah, for Eddie and Keddie in all competitions.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go for
2: that. Okay. Um, my prediction is slightly less bold, but I'm going to predict that Joe Willock will score five goals in the Premier League and will be... A regular-ish Our top player, not <laughs> top scorer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and will be a regular-ish player in the in the first team by the end of the season. That's my bold prediction.
1: Like a sort of Alex Iwobi, sometimes in the team, sometimes not. Bit of a rotation option, like that kind of level.
2: Yeah, yeah, okay. something like that.
1: That is, I think that's, I think that's bold enough to be honest for it's a player of that age.
2: It's not a bad prediction.
1: Ten goals for Andy Inketa. Well, what's it? That's mental. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on. Did I say they'd be for Arsenal? If he goes on loan somewhere.
2: <laughs> it is evening over there. It's possible that you've had a uh, you know a, a cocktail or two at this point. Takuma Asano <laughs> will score thirty goals. My goodness. Have we done anything? Season. We we haven't. We haven't managed to to sell him yet. I see. No, he's still there. He's not he's on the still tour he's not on the tour where is he where is Takuma Asano
1: it's Takuma Asano Um, here's a question from Liam Kent uh, Liam K football and Liam says just how much of a sacrificial lamb do you think Emery is it feels like he's the man to see us through this two year period while we get ourselves sorted at boardroom level oh my I'm feeling like I'm crying you do (laughs) what's going on there well, everyone knows I'm a bit of an Unai empathy. Unai Emery sympathiser. Maybe it's just the emotion of the situation. You've got Unai now, empathy. Okay. <laughs> no, he says it feels like he's the man to see us through this two-year period. While he get while we get ourselves sorted at boardroom level, while hopefully rebalancing the squad somewhat in terms of quality and wages. Do you think Unai Emery has essentially been? Handed a, a bit of a thankless task, and is sort of just being left to to do that job until we get the new man.
2: Uh, I, I don't necessarily think he's a sacrificial lamb. I think the reason that they appointed him was because a he was available, and I think b they looked at the Europa League and his success in the Europa League as a, another potential avenue back into the Champions League. Do I feel like he's been handed a bit of a, a thankless task? Uh, yes, uh, at this moment in time, you know, I, uh, you know, I. I won't pretend that I'm a huge fan of Unai Emery as a football coach. I think he seems to be a very decent, hardworking man uh, who, who's very professional. Good teeth. Yeah, good teeth. Now um, he he also is a man who was not supported last season by the club at a difficult time you know I'm thinking of the January transfer window Uh, I I don't want to go over that again but I think when you lose three first team players and you don't get anybody uh, in who can give you anything whatsoever I I feel for him in that sense Uh, does it excuse the way that the season ended I don't know that it excuses it it might explain it a little bit uh but i do feel even with the players that he had he should have got more from games against you know the crystal palace game at home the brighton game at home those two uh, annoying defeats to to wolves and leicester you know that 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 period towards the end of the season there's no real excusing that and i think he should have been able to to get more out of the team in those games but at the same time i don't think he was properly supported and this summer uh i know i said this before maybe on the last podcast or on the the, the podcast on friday i have i forget because uh, my brain is all over the place being over here but like what the fuck must he be thinking because mm. the the targets for him have got to be the same people said like the 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 goal was to get back into the champions league within two seasons he didn't do it in his first season and now he's being asked to do it uh, in a second season with a weaker squad and Again, no support whatsoever from uh, the football club financially to bring in new players. Uh, his captains, you know, decided, fuck this, I'm out of here. So <laughs> it, it feels a bit like a, a poison chalice. I don't think it's a case that Arsenal have just said, we'll give the job to this guy and, you know, and hang him out to dry. Uh, I, I just think that uh, the circumstances in which he is trying to achieve the things that people want him to achieve are very, very difficult. Difficult. and I you know I, I think we have to acknowledge that uh, I keep saying this every podcast you know maybe we'll feel a bit different in a week's time when we sign a player and a week goes by and we don't sign any players you know if I was Unai Emery uh, I, I would be unless absolutely assured of, of transfer business coming in I'd be I'd be starting to put the pressure on the club publicly to do deals and that's why I'm curious to see what he says in his press conferences tomorrow and after the game against Bayern Munich on Wednesday
1: yeah I hope he does, really, for the club's benefit. I agree. You don't hire someone thinking this guy's a sacrificial lamb. You hire them because you think they're going to do a good job. But I would say now the situation that we're in, uh, it does feel more like that because I think you know we've learned more things about the club. We've seen the way things have unfolded. And I do have a certain degree of time for the idea that you know Unai Emery probably isn't the guy for the long term. But in terms of having someone in the club who can sort of firefight his way through this period, maybe it makes sense for that not to be Freddie UMBERG, for that not to be Patrick Vieira, for it to be someone who, for whom we don't have that emotional attachment to a certain extent and who can just kind of oversee what is a a very tricky transitional period. Because it does feel like, you know, we mentioned those older players with two years remaining on their deal the likes of Ozil, Aubameyang, Sokratis, uh, Mkhitaryan. With some of those guys, it does feel like we're almost kind of waiting for those contracts to end before we can really move on as a club.
2: Yeah, I, it was it was put to me by somebody that that is actually... Uh, they're a bit like, particularly with the Ozil and Mkhitaryan ones, they, yeah. they're a bit like, well, what the fuck can we do about this? And maybe we're just going to have to wait... Until they leave, and I know we all think, well surely there's ways we can move them on, but uh, you know from, from everything that I've been uh, hearing, there's sort of an acceptance that it's beyond us to do that. Maybe that again plays into this statement to get better executives or people more more capable of, of, of doing deals which work in our favor, mm. you know but uh, yeah, well, I what don't you know. have
1: to think is let's say you're a club with the money to pay them would you looking at last season choose to yeah and the answer is probably no so you know it's not a wonder that it's difficult to to to, to move them on and yeah i i kind of feel like to a certain extent i mean I, I know that's only two players we're talking about there but it's an awful lot of money and it does feel like our our spending is kind of restricted by that for the next couple of years and that's the led to Mustafi's deal as well and he's not on nothing so
2: yeah uh, you know even with this even with this Koscielny situation which makes it more likely that Mustafi should stay you know you think about it he's got two years left on his deal uh, I, I know he's kind of damaged goods and uh, it's a very difficult job to sell him but if you're not going to offer him a new deal you should be moving heaven and earth to sell him now this yeah. summer You know, take what you can get for him. Accept the fact that we've uh, dealt ourselves uh, a difficult hand. And, you know, we have to accept our own um, culpability in that regard with these deals that we've given to certain players. Uh, You know, that's our fault. You know, we, you know, you think about um, the... Mustafi deal in particular you know we were so desperate to get a central defender that summer that we overpaid for him obviously and when you overpay for a player you know if a, if a guy is commanding a 35 million pound fee which at that point put him in I think the top five most expensive uh, central defenders of all time you know the wage packet that you can demand if you've got a good agent mm. is reflective of that so this is this is on us so it might be a case of uh, we have to cut our losses a little bit and, and be realistic about what we can get for a player. Because, you know, if Fenerbahce are interested in Mustafi and we ask them for £25 million, pounds, they're going to laugh us out of town. And, they're, you know, nobody's going to pay it. But, like, if Mustafi's available for, for £10 million, pounds, I think there will be clubs out there willing to do that deal and you get 10 million pounds and you don't have mustafi anymore you're you're faced with the task of replacing him also but you know get the things done that need to be done and it sounds like i'm crying here but my it's not just mustafi making me cry but it's my yeah a little bit croaky here so you know i think i i just think uh that there's got to be some measure of ruthlessness in in how we do our, our transfer business maybe edu's the guy to, to get it sorted but you know be realistic about what you can get for these players and take what you can get from for them and 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 move on start to move on because uh you know that they it just feels like if you're if you're if you're watching arsenal next season and you're watching the same players make the same mistakes how how disheartening as that
1: well yeah I mean by process of elimination with the five captains you're going to see a granite shaka captained Arsenal with Skodron Mustafi playing at centre-half because Lauren Crescielny forced his way out of the club so yeah (laughs) it's difficult to feel too uh, (coughs) too optimistic but pre-season you know is a turbulent time things can change rapidly um who knows? Who knows? Maybe Stan will, uh, will dip his hand in his pocket. I doubt <laughs> it very, 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 very much. Oh, yeah. I we doubt need some that really too. smart management because that's it. You know, we don't have the money. We don't have an owner willing to put the money in. And I think that's what's interesting, just coming back to the We Care Do You statement, is that it's not It's not even really asking for Stan to, to put money in. It's just asking for a clearer strategy and and better decision making really um, and some accountability to that yeah uh, that's not unrealistic you know we might we might not be optimistic about the degree to which he's listening but it's not asking for pie in the sky it's not asking for the moon on a stick it's
2: just asking to be a well-run football club. There's uh, interesting. I'm just looking here on the AFC stuff account, and uh, Kia Jorabchian, you know the agent uh, yeah. who is uh, very well connected to Raul Sanjay and also to Edu as well, has been talking on, on Talk Sport. He says, "I feel for the guys that have just come in, Raul Sanjay, Edu, and Una Emery. Uh, I feel for them because we finally got incredibly knowledgeable footballing people there." you can take that um, at face value if you wish finally Arsenal have people who really understand football and are footballing people in the backroom staff but the question is whether or not the finances will be made available there is no big secret they have to reinforce in defence in midfield and out wide Arsenal already have a great advantage in that they already have uh, what many clubs are looking for two world class strikers in Aubameyang and Lacazette the problem is that they have to rebuild everyone else as the rest of the team is lacking so unless the finances are made available it puts a lot of pressure on the guys that they have hired to be able to deliver what they have been brought in to deliver and he's talking about that in the, uh, in the wake of the We Care Do You campaign so uh, this could be this could be one of the agents who could bring in players that, that could really help us and that's what yeah. his, that's what his uh, focus would be to make sure that the deals we do uh, help Arsenal and not line his pockets
1: Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, he's got a very close relationship with Edu. And, you know, if it brings us some decent Brazilian players, then sure, I'm all for it. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, one one wonders how close he is to someone like Raul. And he appears to be kind of turning the focus on the owner as well. I suspect Raul Sanyei is also seeing the way this summer is unfolding and thinking, Christ, this doesn't look good for me even if it is my responsibility you know he, I suppose he'd rather the, the IOB elsewhere but yeah it, it's uh, yeah it, it's we're sort of locked in a bit of a holding pattern with some of these players we can't move on and it's really inhibited our transfer business this summer uh, even with like Tierney for example you know if we get him in really we need to move a left back on and I've got absolutely no confidence in our capacity to do that Uh yeah So it's a a very curious situation that we're in right now and, yeah, not particularly pleasant. Hence today, really, and
2: hence the outpouring we've seen online. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Let's hope there are good things around the corner. Let's
2: hope so. Let's hope so. Have you got any more questions?
1: I don't really I'm sort of uh, I yeah. think we've sort of covered them in the more general chat to be
2: honest with you I think we have um, and I better sort of given the, the time of day that it is in that part of the world people will be chomping at the bit for a podcast so uh, it, it's still early morning here but it's evening over there and uh, regular Arsecast listeners will be uh, will be waiting anxiously for the podcast so I think we'll leave it there and I'll put it together and get it uploaded um, keep an eye on Arseblog news uh, throughout the next few days because uh, uh, there'll be lots of coverage of the, the game against Bayern Munich and also the press conferences in which you and I, Emery, I'm sure will be asked about our transfer business. It will become uh, an ever more pressing issue over the next uh, couple of weeks. And while we're here on the tour, hopefully they can they can get their heads together and get some deals done. Um, we'll leave it there, I guess. Uh, I'll try and put a podcast together for Friday. Uh, I'm traveling, though, this week as well, uh, heading down to Charlotte on Thursday. But I'll do my best. I'll keep you updated on that. And don't forget you can keep an eye on the uh, the exclusive tour diary on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Until then, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.